0: Turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to jump in today. Last week we went 1 through 3, but we're going to pick back up at 3 today, and we're going to touch on that. And it'll be a little bit of a roller coaster ride today in the scripture at least, because uh, I'm going to try to tie together several examples from the text of scripture. Uh, some from the Old Testament and then into the New Testament, I want to try to give you a few different examples of, what, uh, of what, it look, what the teaching in Hebrews 6, in this section, of what it looks like when it's lived out and when we have a record of it, which we do have several records of this in, in the Scripture. So the, the title of today's message is uh, True Repentance by God's Permission. True repentance by God's permission. And you say, well, you know, what do you mean by that? Can't, can't just anybody repent at any time they want to? And I would even say to that, yeah, sure. Uh, but I think we need to distinguish between true repentance and another type of repentance. And you may not be aware that there is more than one type of repentance. I'm not sure. Uh, but I want to take to task today that very thing, to describe to you what the Bible teaches, and to lay out for you a case that there, there's more than one way to repent, and those uh, different ways to repent, or different repentances, so to speak, have different results, have different conclusions, they have different, um, they have different characteristics, and that's what we're kind of going to get into today. Now, if, you'll, if you've been following and if you've been listening, if you were here the past several weeks, we've talked about many different things, and some of those things were where we are as a church and the struggles that we have as a church. What are the characteristics of not just our church, but the churches that surround us? What, what, what's the reality surrounding the American church or the global church as it is today? and What are some of the problem points with many of our churches? And I think that's a good, healthy thing to do, to examine those that are around us to see what are they doing right? What do we feel like they're doing wrong? And not just what our opinion is or what they're doing, uh, the things that they're doing and if they're doing them like we're doing them. No, that's not what I mean. People can have different methodology, that's fine. I I have no qualms with that. What I mean is, are we operating and moving according to Scripture? Are we living out our lives according to Scripture? And and we've talked a lot about this, and we often get into this routine. We can do it here, other churches do it. Uh, it, it's, It's very common, actually. We can get into a routine to where... We're just going through the motions. We have lots of speech and lots of talk, but very little action and very little fruit, if you want to look at it that way. And sometimes that's hard to bear. Sometimes it's hard to deal with, uh, depending on where you are and what you're doing and what your role is. And so we talked a lot about that. And through the text, we have seen the author of Hebrews address several of these issues. And I won't get into all of that to conserve a little bit of time. But moving into Hebrews chapter 6, and today we're specifically going to focus on verses 3 through 8. I don't know that I'll get to 7 and 8. We'll, t- we'll take a shot at it. But the main focus today is going to be all the way through verse 6. Because what we're going to be doing is addressing what does he... And this is probably one of the most controversial texts in all of Scripture. I have personally uh, been studying this book for a long time and this particular text for quite a while too. And uh, several sermons that you will listen to, even if they're preached through the book, some pastors will just skip over this section or just lightly glance over it and then keep on moving. But I just think it does injustice to the text and I think we need to root down in there and see what we can see what God would reveal about these doctrines that can be controversial look I'll go ahead and say we don't have to agree perfectly when we read this text but I think that we should examine it to see how it leans on us how it pushes on us how it challenges us and to see whether or not we have justification to believe what we believe uh, and what we should do from then right So we don't have to perfectly agree. You don't have to say, oh, yes, I agree with your interpretation exactly, Brandon. It's okay. We can be in a couple different spots here, but I think there is a right way to understand it. And I think this text, being controversial, it's utilized oftentimes to promote false doctrine. Okay? Now, what are you talking about? That that should be the question. Well, there's a doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The assurance of salvation. The once saved, always saved, if you will, in Southern Baptist language. uh, Perseverance of the saints in different language. This idea that those who are truly saved cannot be lost. Okay, They can't be lost by the attempts or by the actions or whatever of others impinging on them. And they can't even be lost because of their own uh, walking out of the relationship that they have with God. How many of you have uh, turned your back on God while in relationship with God? Right? And those of you who didn't raise your hand, you know, you just did by lying. You know, you, you <laughs> denied God who is truth. Here's the, here's the big idea is that, and I want you to just think about it logically for a moment. If it is your own perfect choosing continually that keeps you remaining in the blessed, redeemed embrace of God, then you would not last very long. And it would be up and down, up and down, up and down. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm a sinner, are you? I have a flawed sense of reasoning. Now, I, am, I have been made a saint. I have been granted the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ through his impartation to me. And so I am sealed for the day of redemption. And you are too if you are truly in the Lord, if I am truly in the Lord. But if that depends on me, then woe is me. Because I know how flawed and failed I am. I know it must be the Lord that holds and keeps me. So the Lord has done the work. He has brought me, he keeps me, and he finishes my salvation as well. Amen? Now, oftentimes these verses are used to say, no, that is not the case, and that you can be born again, a member, a family member of God's family. You can be a child of God, saved, truly regenerate, but if you do not, stay on that path and if you do not stay close to the Lord then you can lose your genuine salvation and find yourself winding up in the pits of hell separated from God forever. I'll be challenging that idea today and offering uh, an interpretation and an understanding of this that I think number one is more fluid and more aligned with the rest of scripture okay and that is more conducive to and in line with the context in which we find it, the immediate context. Okay, so let's all stand to our feet, let's read the verses, and then let's unpack them and get get down in it a little bit. Hebrews chapter 6, starting, we'll just go ahead and start in verse 1, we're going to read through verse 8. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have, been once, who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So I want to kind of just break these down a little bit today and just see if we can... Why? Why? I want to break these down a little bit today and see if we can look at some examples in Scripture of this type of interaction with God. And so, as we read through those verses, I would say, I would guess, that your understanding of what you just read would probably be affected by the assumptions that you've already made. And if you grew up in a Southern Baptist church or even in this area more than likely you have uh, adopted or you have taken uh, the stance that once you're saved, you're saved. And there's nothing that can be done about that, that you're saved. So what do we do with these verses? Because, I mean, this is pretty challenging if you're going to hold that position to rightly reconcile what seems to be a pretty tough Uh, counter to that point listen to what it says for it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the son of God to their own harm seems to be saying here that those who have been in this place of blessedness, those who have been in this place of being a Christian, those who have been in this place of hearing and receiving and learning and growing and sharing in the good things of the Word of God and the power of the age to come, that they've been there. And once they were there, they then fell away from there, and now they can't get back to there. Okay, that's pretty straightforward, is it not? Pretty straightforward. And so we need to ask the questions. What, what, what's going on here? What does it mean to have tasted the heavenly gift, to have experienced or been enlightened? What does it mean to be enlightened? And if that's not talking about true Christians, well, can an unchristian be enlightened? Can they share in the Holy Spirit? Can they share and taste the power of the age to come and the word of God? This seems hard to wrap our minds around. And if it's true Christians, then how can they fall away? How can it be impossible to restore them? You mean true Christians can lose their salvation? You see, we have to do some work here. We need to start to understand what these things are talking about, and as I move through, this is one reason I actually really like this board, and sometimes I use it, sometimes I don't, but I like not only to help you, and, and remember, I'm a student of the Word, too. I'm just trying to study it like you're studying it, right? I'm praying, asking God to reveal to me. I'm reading other theologians. I'm listening to other sermons as well and trying to see what, does, what is God actually saying in His Word. Study is so important. And so we don't just need to come here and you just listen to me to, for me to download my understanding into you. No, this, I like this because I'm not just trying to show you what I understand this text to mean. I want to show you how I studied the text and the connections that I made in showing you how I got to the understanding that I, that I have. So that way, you go back home and you apply those those same uh, tactics and those same things in order to come to your own understanding, not just of this text, but whatever text you're working with. So let's kind of go through now and break it down a little bit, and let's start to ask some really good questions of the text and see where it leads us. All right, verses 3 through 6 is what we're going to concentrate on today. Now, remember in verses 1 through 3, He's talking about that we need to get on past the elementary things. And we've already talked about all that. I'm not going all the way back into it. And maybe some of you did tell me, man, that's shocking. That's surprising that the apostle in the book of Hebrews says that we need to actually move on from what we, uh, what many of us have heard every Sunday our entire lives until we went to this church or that church and until we did this or whatever He says, let us leave the elementary doctrine. And what were those doctrines? I mean, goodness, repentance from the from dead works and faith. You, You mean we need to move on from learning about repentance and faith? Actually, yeah. Those are the beginning levels. Why do we stay on the beginning levels forever? We need to move on. Now, those are essential. You can't move on if you never began. But this is the beginning, it's not the end. And so this is where we start, but then we move on, right? And these are the, uh, there were five things, repentance, faith, uh, baptisms, laying on of hands or commissioning, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, and here's where we find ourselves as we move on. This we will do, and this is going to be key, this we will do if, this is a conditional, this makes this a conditional, if God permits, okay, this is going to be key, he's saying You should be teachers by now. I want to go further in the Melchizedekian order. I want to go further into the forever priesthood of Jesus Christ. I want to plunge down into these things, but I can't. Why? Because you guys are children. You're still sucking on the nipple. You're still drinking milk. And Man, I would really love to cut you off a big piece of this juicy prime rib right here because it's so succulent. That's a nice word. I like that word succulent isn't that a nice word but you can't why because what happens when you put a piece of prime rib that's still got the blood running out of it and the, the edges of it have got that herb crust Ooh. it's got just a little bit of fat but not chewy fat but the mushy fat and you cut that what happens if you take that uh, delicacy that succulent piece of meat and you put it in your 18 month old's mouth you know, you're going to kill them, right? He says, I wish, I wish I could go. I wish I could give, man, this is good. I wish I could give you this. He says, but I can't. I can't. And we can't go in back into that. But here he says, we've got to move on and we will move on if God permits. Now, what do we need? In order to move beyond the surface level Christianity, mere Christianity, into the deeper things of God, not that we would be elite Christians, no, but that we would be that we would be soldiers with sharpened swords, that we would be uh, that we would be mathematicians, so to speak, in the Christian realm, that we would be engineers in the Christian realm, that we would be handy would just steal, if you know what I mean, earn our keep, that we would be effectual, that we would be efficient, that we would be able to do the work of the Lord. But here we are kind of crawling around, you know, we can't do anything. You know, I own a business, I've owned a business for 17 years. And one thing I know, my five-year-old little girl is useless on the job site as a matter of fact she keeps work from getting done because i can't just let her walk around on the job site because she will die (laughs) maybe when she's older maybe when my boys are and the older my boys get the older they get they actually become useful we can get stuff done we can accomplish tasks and now i've got a 15 year old who just got his permit by the way i'm getting old i can't believe it it's crazy but my 15 year old he can come he can drive he can he can cut grass. He can do whatever, right? He can do stuff now. This is what he's talking about now. But this only happens if God permits. Now, uh, I guess three or four weeks ago, I preached a sermon where I was really just discouraged, right? And, and you know, it was the the hammer was dropped. And ever since then, I've been praying and I've been seeking. I've been like, Lord, what are we going to do? Where are we going to go? And the Lord has revealed to me even this morning that Brandon, you can beat your head against the wall. You can just slay everybody with the sword. But until I say, let's go, it is, it's no good. It doesn't matter how yow, loud I yell or how broken I am or how he pushes or how she pushes. or It doesn't matter. When the Lord says go, when the Lord says amen, when the Lord calls, we will go. We will go. So the first point is, is that, Everything depends on the permissive will, the active will. Everything everything depends on God's doing, God's permitting, God's calling, God's moving. It is dependent upon God. Now, we're talking about moving from the elementary things to the mature things. What he's going to get into here is the indications and implications of the of belief, supposed believers, that's what I'm going to start to outline. I'll go ahead and give you my position, okay? And then we'll start to break it down so you'll know where I am. Most of you know where I am probably already. My understanding of this text is that this is the, the verses after, and this uh, we will do if God permits. What he's going to describe, in my opinion, are those who have who have received, they've been enlightened to, they have witnessed they've even been a part of the movement of God but they have done so from the outside looking in and they have had every opportunity they've even experienced many blessings just being on the outside close enough to see close enough to hear close enough to taste close enough to smell it but then they have said nah that's not for me And they have walked away, okay? So I will describe these as true believers and false believers. Now we know, I don't have time to get into it, but we know that there is a belief that is not a belief that is faith that is unto salvation. James tells us very clearly in that, even the demons believe and they shudder. That does... just because you understand, you, you have an acknowledgement and an understanding that, oh, yeah, Jesus existed. Oh, yeah, Jesus is God. That does not mean that you have bowed the knee and accepted him and had faith in him and loved him. Okay, there's two different things. We'll talk a lot more about that later, though. So this happens by permission of God only. So as we move through, God is the one that is moving, and all we can do is to plead the gospel to speak of Christ to teach the scriptures to be faithful in our own relationships with God and to call those around us to be faithful as well and to in love and in peace and in restorative movement to call those around us out on their sins if they are proclaiming to be a believer themselves now that's hard to do And it's hard to receive, but it is absolutely essential to our growth and our maturity. If you want to grow, then you must be open to rebuke, and you must be willing to rebuke both in love and in gentleness and in peace as you see fit and as the Lord leads you to do so. And all that one might be restored and brought into a greater relationship with God because it is God who is permitting and bringing about these things. And so I want to distinguish now between two types of repentance. And I'm just going to put R-E-P here. Two types of repentance. Now let's go to the scripture on that. And where do I get this? Right here is where I get what I believe this text all kind of centers around, and that is what type of repentance, what type of, of person are we talking about, are we describing a true believer, or are we describing something else? And I want to show you now that I believe that there are two different types of repentance that can be found in Scripture. If you will, turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now, the first repentance I want to talk to you about is true repentance that is accompanied by faith. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Let's start in verse 22. Now, he's, uh, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. He's speaking to him about how to lead the church, what uh, the scriptures outline, what the church should look like, what, should, what believers should look like. And this is what he says to Timothy in 2 Timothy, starting in verse 22. He says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Purity is going to be a resounding, uh, it is going to be a resounding attribute or description of those who have true repentance. Okay, and we'll see some other attributes as well from a pure heart have nothing to do with foolish ignorant controversies you know that they breed quarrels and the lord's servant must not be quarrelsome but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness now listen to this here's where it gets, where the rubber meets the road god may perhaps grant them repentance what type of repentance that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. So you see, this type of repentance comes from the Lord. It comes uh, when someone is seeking with a pure heart. It, It has effects on a person. And those effects are that they are released from the snare of the enemy that has entrapped them, and they are released into the good things of God, into a knowledge of the truth, but not just a knowledge, not just a knowledge of the truth, but it, they have come to their senses. So they learned something, and then that something that they learned as knowledge awakened them to something else. How many of you have heard something He's like, yeah okay and you were like you didn't question the the validity of it but it didn't impact you and then all of a sudden you realized what it was that was just said you're like oh and you were like well I gotta you know do this or do that we'll take it like this let's say that you've got kids right and your kids are in the house, and they're playing, and you're working on your computer, or you're playing video games, or you're coloring, or you're knitting and sewing, whatever. You're doing something, right? You're busy. And the kids, uh, let's say you've got a little five-year-old girl. Her name's Ellaray, right? And the kid, the, the, the little girl comes in, and she says, uh, Ezekiel's got his finger in asher's ear and asher's crying now you've heard the knowledge you've heard the the claim and but you're busy and it goes in your ear and you say oh okay you didn't say you liar right you said okay all right and then all of a sudden you come to your senses wait what and you get up and you go out of that room into another room to find your 12 year old with his finger in your, you know, it, you, it moves you. Knowledge that doesn't move you may have entered your head, but it has not yet pierced or traveled to your heart, which then comes out of your hands. Knowledge that stops in the head is useless. And oftentimes, painfully destructive and condemning. Because and I'll just practically speaking, you know, all jokes aside, I'll say your your one of your kids comes in and says, you know, what are those knobs on the stove? You know, they turn really good. I turned it all the way right, and it just it stopped at one point, though. And you believe that, but you don't act on it. That knowledge stops here. And it doesn't go here. And your care for, you know, burning the whole house down, dying, your care doesn't then go out of your feet and hands, and you get up and say, what did you do? And your hand does like that. You see, if the knowledge stops here in the head and it doesn't come through the heart and through the hands, then it's useless and oftentimes brings about severe consequences. So it is with those who hear the Word of God and have only a surface-level repentance or only a surface-level blessing. Because I'm going to contend that Unbelievers do oftentimes share in wonderful blessings. That they are showered with compassion by God. That they experience manifold, beautiful things. And what does it do? It only makes the fires hotter when they are cast into the outer darkness and into the flame because the more light that you have the more light you have to deny in order to not be saved. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Okay, so here we see now let's move on. He says God may perhaps grant them repentance. Okay, so we see that this seems to be a, a, a true repentance. They, they have witnessed the Lord They have been made aware of the truth, and they have repented. Now, what is repentance? It is a turning away from that which you are currently doing. It is a 180-degree turn away from whatever it is. And so, I'm living a life of sin. I'm going to turn away from that behavior. I'm going to turn away from that reality, and I'm going to turn and go another way. Now, repentance can only be true if you, when we're talking about faith and talking about salvation, there is only one direction you can go in, when you have truly repented and received faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is only one reality in which you are walking away from sin, and that is when you are walking toward the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot overcome sin on your own. The only way that you can overcome sin is to enter into the victory that has already been won by the Messiah, the Son of the Living God, who came to pay the price we could not pay, who came to defeat the enemy that we could not defeat. And now, instead of fighting sin, we are laying down our weapons, dying to self, and turning to Christ. This is the victory. Christ is the opposite of sin. If we want to stop sinning, then we must start Jesusing. Make sense? When you are pers- that's why faith and repentance, repentance and faith, always go hand in hand. There are two different sides of this coin. When you have faith, it means you have been brought into Christ. And when you have been brought into Christ, then you are repenting. Now, we often waver and wane and go, but the Lord is keeping us. And it is our sanctification that is up and down at times. Our justification is never. We have been fully relieved of the penalty of sin. The power is being taken away, and one day the presence will be eradicated as well. That's true repentance. We're turning. Now, turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I know we're jumping around a little bit, but just hang with me. Let's look at an example of where the Bible uh, teaches us that there is something other than a true repentance. Because you can repent of anything. You can repent to anything. Now, I can repent of one action, but watch this now. Watch this. Before I even read 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to be looking at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. If, <coughs> let's say, this table is the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Now, if I'm sinning and I repent of this action, let's say that I'm a thief, okay? This is why, practically speaking, I'm just, you, you test it yourself and see if you have not experienced this yourself, and you know lots of people who experience the exact same thing. Have you or anybody you know, have you ever recognized, now this can be a spiritual thing or a non-spiritual thing, that's not the point right now, so let me just ask it, have you ever witnessed this with yourself or somebody else, that you have an issue, let's say it's uh, gambling, let's say it's stealing, let's say let's say it's smoking cigarettes or taking pills, whatever it might be, right? And you recognize it. You have, you have been enlightened to that, however that came about. You say, oh man, you know, I've got to stop eating so much, I'm really big, right? Or I've got to stop smoking, I can't even walk up to get my mail at the mailbox. Put whatever you want there. And so, You say, you will and grit and determine it. And you say, I will not smoke again. And you turn from it. Only to find it, pornography is over here. What? And now you find yourself in this sin. It ain't got to be pornography. It can be you turn from smoking cigarettes, pain pills. Pain pills, no. Alcohol, what? Women, money, men, whatever. How many of you have ever seen that or experienced that yourself? You give up one thing only to find yourself tied up into another thing. Anybody? Any takers? It happens all the time, and it doesn't have to be even anything horrible like that. You're like, I am watching too much TV. I need to read more. You turn the TV off, and now you're scrolling Facebook. It doesn't matter. What I'm saying is the reality is that we are continual worshipers 24-7. You were made that way. And you will always find something to try to fill that void with. And the only thing that actually fills the void is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God. It's an eternal void, right? And so every time you turn from one thing, you're turning to another thing. And the only way that you can overcome the things, period, is that you turn from them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because all of the things in this world will never. You can put them all in there. They'll never fill that void. That will take up an eternal amount of temporal, unsatisfactory things to just toss in that eternal hole. And it'll never fill. And you'll have to have more. And you'll have to have more. And you'll have to have more. But when you turn to Christ, Christ is the eternal Son of God. And so he fills it right up fills it right up, and and explodes and overflows out onto everyone else around them. So, 2 Corinthians. So my whole point in that was that you can have a a repentance that does not lead to salvation because you're merely turning from one thing to another thing without turning from sin and turning to Christ. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 10. Now watch what he says here. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment at every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter now some of you might say well they didn't use the word repentance there twice i don't think it matters let's read it again and i want to show you here watch what it says for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret first of all notice that it does not have a definite article but it says a repentance The indication here is is that, now it does explicitly show us that there's two types of grief. There's a godly grief. Now, why does anybody repent? Please tell me. Or don't. (laughs) Yeah, you're sorry. Yes, that's it. That you have grief, right? Every repentance comes from grief. You have godly grief, you have displeased the Lord, you have hurt your relationship to some degree, you have, you have lived outside of what He has for you, you love Him and you, why did I do this? I love you Lord, I'm so sorry. Or you have some other type of grief. It's going to say what it is here. And let me say, this is one of the most practical sermons because I'm telling you right now, Every one of you have felt these two different kinds of repentance. I'll I'll give you this example, or I'll say it this way, and I think you'll understand. How many of you have had your boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, in some relationship, you've caught them doing something that they should not be doing? How many? Smart man. Whoa, I thought you were smart. (laughs) Okay, now. You caught them doing something that they weren't supposed to be doing. Now, how many times, how many times, you don't have to answer this one because we can't count that high, how many times has that happened? And they are overwhelmingly apologetic. But you wonder, and maybe it's proven at some point, maybe it's not. You wonder... Are they sorry that they got caught, or are they actually sorry that they did it? See the two? See the two? Do you see the two? Yep. This is yes, this is no. This is like, I don't know, I wasn't here last week. <laughs> you know the difference. You might, have not, you might have not seen it laid out this way, but this is the difference between true repentance and false repentance, because true repentance, is, it comes from godly grief. You have hurt the Lord, you have wounded Him, and you want to be in His embrace. And you know that sin, it it separates, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It slows you down in your pursuit of Christ, and you're sorry. You, You really are, you really, really do wish that you had not done that. Because it was too costly. And then there is, you wish you hadn't have gotten caught. Because now you got to put up with this nagging, right? In other words, if you were straight up and you said what you thought, you would say, I wish you hadn't have caught me because I really enjoyed doing that and I could keep doing that if you hadn't have caught me. You see? You see the difference? And sometimes somebody will repent and confess to a wrong that they've done and it's still not be why because they think that they can gain something for themselves by taking the shot on this side if they admit this thing then maybe they can get this thing but it's all selfishly motivated it is not because they really understand that they've wounded the other person or that they've sinned against god is that coming across clear you see, that's the two types of repentance. Now, he didn't say the word repentance twice, but he did explicitly say the word grief twice, and he distinguishes between a godly grief that leads to a repentance that what? It has results. That's what he says. <clears throat> For godly grief produces, godly grief produces a repentance, this type of repentance, that leads to salvation without regret. You say, man, I you know, I, I had... I was in this sin. I was. It was painful, and I left it over there, and I came over here to salvation to God, and I I don't regret it at all. You see it. You see it now. With what I just told you a second ago in mind, that they started. They got caught. Watch. Watch. Here's the other. Man, I'm caught in something worldly grief. I can't believe they caught me doing that. Now I don't get to do that thing anymore. And I'm going to turn, but I wish I could still do that. I'm not sorry that I was doing that. I'm sorry I got caught doing that, and now I have to stop doing that. But I wish I could. There's regret. Did you see it? I wish I could keep doing that. Husband catches his wife cheating. Wife catches her husband cheating. Whatever it might be, there's a million different examples. And maybe he stops, maybe she stops. But deep down, there's been no true change. Because deep down, he wishes that he hadn't gotten caught. Because oh, how he would love to go see her again. There's regret. When you come into the Lord's presence and you have true repentance, and God fills you up, and you have to leave all of that sin behind. You look back at it and you don't regret. You puh, puh, puh. Going with the Lord. You know? You ain't got no regret. You don't look back. You don't want to go back. Now, sometimes maybe your flesh taps you on the shoulder. Hey man, what's up? And you're like, off of me, right? And sometimes you're like, uh, uh, and for the true believer, you know you've done that before. Because I'm not saying, I don't believe in sinless perfectionism. I don't believe the more mature you get, you stop sinning altogether. I think you're going to fight with it, tooth and nail all the way to the grave, just like Paul did, right? And you're waging war. Check out Paul's life. And I'm chasing a rabbit right now, but that's okay. It's a good, big, fat, juicy one. So I'm going to keep going. Paul, at the beginning of his ministry and his apostleship, right? He comes into this relationship with God and he comes into this place. And he says, he's defending his apostlehood, his his apostolic authority. And he's making this argument. He's like, I am an apostle. Yes, I am the least of these apostles, but I am an apostle. Okay? Go forward a little while in his ministry. Gets a little closer to the Lord, if you can imagine that, right? Paul gets closer to the Lord. Then all of a sudden, he says, I am the least of all of these brothers. So, first he was the least of these the least of the apostles, but he's still up here with the apostles. And he comes down. He says, I'm getting closer to the Lord, man. I just I realize I might not even need to be up there. And he says, I'm the least of these. I'm the least of, you know, I'm still the I'm the least of these, though. We'll go on further in his ministry. What does he say? I'm the chief of sinners. I'm, the, I'm a worse sinner than every one of you. <laughs> I'm the chief of sinners. And Christ's blood cleanses even from that. The closer we get to God, the more we realize it, the more we, we feel the weight. And so wh- the reason I said all of that is this. I, when we repent and we have faith, I'm not saying that we turn from those things and we never regret it again. I'm saying that it is it is defined by, outlined by, indicative of. It is it is painted with true uh, with true repentance, and you don't regret the old life. Now every every now and then, as we're battling with the flesh, it starts to call us back. But the true believer here's where he is. He may even turn and glance and look all the way around at it but when he does that even then oh the pain how could i have even looked back the disgust the hatred of sin here's the question do you hate your sin or do you hate the fact that you can't commit it anymore True repentance, godly grief, worldly grief. Now, let's, let's look at a couple of examples of this. Oh, my goodness. How could this possibly be 1136? Okay, really fast then. Turn back to 2 Samuel. No, hurry, hurry. 2 Samuel. Okay, first example, true repentance. Second example, false repentance. Let's check it out. I think we can learn a ton from these. And I don't really have that much time. I was just joking around. But I will say, you could spend forever in these texts, though. So I'm going to read it. I'm going to give you the overview. I'm going to show you the true repentance. Then I'm going to go to the second, the false repentance. But go back and check these things out. Because what do we need to do, Jake? We need to truly repent, like day by day, every day. Like, we need to repent every single day, right? I do. I do, right? I want to repent, get close to, to the Lord. So 2 Samuel... <coughs> if you remember this story David has uh, slept with Bathsheba she's pregnant he's killed her husband Uriah uh, slaughtered him by the sword of the enemy and here we are David shows up Nathan is there Nathan is a prophet Nathan is going to reveal David's sin now He's going to have grief. Let's watch and see if he has godly grief or if he has worldly grief. Let's watch and see the results of this type of repentance, and let's see what happens. Let's watch and see how David responds to getting caught. Here's the question. Is he afraid he got caught, or is he actually sorry that he did it? Is he sorry he got caught, or is he sorry he did it? 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, "There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he bought it, and he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his own cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man. And he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guests who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. <laughs> it was a setup. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you. Out of of your own house and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son for you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son David got caught and I mean like sneaky caught private investigator nailed him this is what David says, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Right or wrong? Right or wrong answer? Yes. He recognized that his sin was not just against Uriah. His sin was not just against Bathsheba. His sin was not just against Israel. His sin was not even primarily against any of those His sin was primarily against the Lord. That's when we repent. Is that when you realize that sin that you committed against your wife or your son or your employee or your employer or whatever. It's not primarily a sin against them. It's primarily a sin against God. And Nathan said to David, the Lord Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Then Nathan went to his house. Now I could read on, I'm just going to kind of touch on that, but here it is. David recognized his sin was not just sins. In an outward physical way. But they were on a whole nother eternal level. He recognized that he had sinned against the Lord. And he admitted it. He confessed it. And the Lord saw his pure heart. And he restored him even through that wickedness. Now we rise up against that and we say... How could the Lord just overlook that? The Lord never overlooked that and He never overlooks any sin. The Lord God does not overlook sin. He does not just forget about it willy-nilly. No, every sin, every sin, every sin that's ever been committed by any man, woman, or child on the face of this earth, it must be paid in blood. And it will be paid in blood. You will either pay for your own sin in a fiery hell where you will pay, you will endure the ever-abiding wrath of God for the rest of this eternity for all time, never ending, or you will accept the bloodbath, the blood bought, the wrath poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. For you on your behalf you see jesus christ didn't die on the cross just as some demonstration no he actually took your sins yours personally he took your sin yours and he put it upon himself he clothed himself in your and my sin Our particular, it was the time you cheated. It was the time you lied. It was the time you did whatever it was. That particular time is the, it was what was driving the force behind the Roman soldier's hand. When they hit the nail, it was your sin and it was mine. You see, the reason that God could look at David or Nathan could look at David and tell him that God had forgiven him, that he was not going to hold it against him, was not because he just dismissed that sin. No, he knew that that sin was on the Lord Jesus Christ. True repentance. And we go on down in the story. the, The boy ends up dying. The child ends up dying. David's torn up. He's praying. Being caught in the sin, you know where it pushed David? Here's a good indicator. When you find out you're in sin, whether you've you've been caught by somebody else or whether you've awakened to it yourself, the Lord has brought it to your mind, and now you see this sin, and you're grieved by it, and you give it over to the Lord, what is your response? It says here that then David arose from the earth and washed and anointed himself and changed his clothes and he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. This was after he had suffered the consequences. Now, I want you to... This is so much here. You see, it didn't stop at confession. You know, so many of us, we want to confess our sins. We want to say, you know, leave me alone about it. I've confessed it already. Our sins, even when forgiveness is a reality, they have consequences that will be lived out oftentimes. It was after Nathan said, The Lord has shown mercy. He will not kill you, but your boy, your son, your child is going to die. There's consequences. But David's response was, when he found, now he, he ripped his clothes. He wouldn't eat. He stayed in constant prayer because he says, how do I know, maybe the Lord will relent, I don't know, I'm, I'm just pleading, maybe he will, maybe he won't, I don't know, but whatever he does is justified, and we know he felt that way, because as soon as he found out that the boy did die, and the Lord stayed true to his word, and he had to pay for his sins, it was when he found out that he was dead, that he arose, and he took a bath, he, he bathed himself, he put on his, the clothes, and he went and bowed down and worshipped the Lord, you see, true repentance is not easy, Just because you're going to be in the presence of the Lord does not mean it's easy, it's hard. True repentance is way harder, way harder. Because false repentance, you never even really turn from that sin or the loving of it. Listen, true repentance is the death of your flesh, and that's always painful. You're in love with your sin. So am I. Before the Lord Jesus Christ comes, we are we are in love. We are in bed. Sometimes literally, we are in bed with our sin. We love it. It's part of us. We long for it. We want it. We find our fulfillment in it. Even if it's shattered and sacrificed and it's all just been all up. We this is all we've got. And we don't have the Lord. This is all we've got. And the Lord says, You gotta squeeze the life out of it. You've got to place it here. You've got to place it here under the cross. You've got to place it here so that it can be smashed and it can be drowned under a river of blood. You've got to give this. Yeah, that's why you feel about your sin. You remember uh, Frodo? No, wasn't name? Huh? Gollum. Yeah, he was Frodo before that, right? No, Frodo was the good guy, right? No, Gollum, Gollum, and he's like, precious. Remember, he's like, you're, like you're looking at him, you're going, it's a ring, bro. It's just a ring. You know, but he's like, precious. And he's willing to kill. He's willing to lie, steal, cheat. Precious. And what, what ended up happening? He went into the, into the pit for it. He was not going to let it go, right? He loved it. He loved it. Precious. That's the way we feel about our sin. And Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You'll love the one and hate the other or hate the one and love the other. So that's what faith is. You see, Jesus Christ was hung upon the tree to die for for you and for me. And we either allow him to die or we allow Precious to die. Which one? You see, we have to give up our sin. We We have to give it to the Lord. And you know what he does with your sin, right? He, he murders it. That you need to understand the mechanics of the gospel, the mechanics of the cross. And this is like, Heather's like, I'm just big picture. I just, you know, Jesus died for me. I'm, I'm good with that. You know, I trust. I love it, big picture. She trusts me. I'm like, yeah, but I want to know how it works. all of your precious sins that are really evil disgusting little rats that you're petting jesus takes those disgusting sins and he puts them on him he covers himself and when the and when the wrath of god is poured out and jesus is smashed on the cross your beautiful lovely supposedly beautiful lovely precious they are smashed with him that's how it works and all of his actual precious righteousness you see this uh, this is precious this is the actual so jesus has got true preciousness you've got rotting supposed preciousness you give him yours and he dies for it and and he gives you his and now you get to wake up in the morning And you get to enjoy the true precious. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. His life for us. You see, he died so that we would live. We live because he died. He took on sin and shame so that we might take on his precious righteousness. that, That gives us a name. You don't understand. And when true repentance comes... We're not looking back, not because, and here's another, it's not because, don't look back, don't look back, don't look back. How many of you have repented like that? I've repented like that before. You know, like I leave this sin over here, and I'm like, don't look back, don't look back. I want to look back, don't look back, don't. Just want to look, no, don't look back, don't look back, no. True repentance, and I gave, I try to test myself like this too. i put that thing down there. You know how you stop sinning? You know why in Jesus Christ, and this is the whole thing about AA and NA, and I'm just running way off now. You know what the problem with AA and NA is? Maybe they have their place in recognition. If you're in AA and NA, if it's been good for you, I'm I'm really not trying to rail on it, I'm not. But you know at least one failure and flaw I know that it has. AA and NA suppose and teach that once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. Once you're a drug addict, you're always a drug addict and now you just got to manage that sin for the rest of your life. You got to manage that problem, you got to manage that addiction, okay? In an unregenerate life, that's absolutely correct. In an unregenerate life, that is absolutely correct. And I'll tell you why. Is because, now let's stay consistent. This is our precious sin. This is our addiction. In AA, they say, "Give that addiction up, and you put it down. But you're a continual worshiper, and, and that's all an addiction is, it's worship. That's all it is. Did, how many of you knew that? All addiction is is worship. Lord time, functional savior. Jim Bean, opposite of Jesus Christ. It's functional savior. I mean, come on, think about it. What does crack promise? Joy? Forgetfulness, peace, ecstasy—you know—they're all just functional saviors. They're false saviors, all they are. So you've got this false savior. are so precious, and that's why you love it, by the way, and me too, because it's it's saying, it's whispering in your ear, "I'm better than Jesus." You're know, like, I know. Well, in AA, you can never give up addiction, which they're right in a sense, but it's amazingly damaging. I'm going to run this out. It might take a minute, but I'm going to do it anyway because this is eye-opening to me when I saw it. You set down your addiction. But since we're continual worshipers, and you are, by the way, you're creating the image of God, you will always be reflecting, you will always be longing to worship and be who you were called to be. But since the fall, and we're broken and outside of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with Yahweh, and we can't get back to him apart from the sacrifice of Lord Jesus Christ and that great exchange where our price is paid and we come back in full-fledged family members by adoption right through the payment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we're down here pursuing after what we know we need. We just don't know we need it. So basically all N.A. is saying is is that you're, you're an addict, period. Your addiction is who you are. And they're right because you are a worshiper 24-7. And when you set that addiction down, you will grab another one. It may look healthier, it may be reading, you might set crackdown for reading, but you will do something, you will do something to you will worship something. Now, what's the difference? Addiction, worship, same thing, same thing, substitute words. You want to know how you get rid of one addiction? It's really easy actually, you just need a stronger addiction. That's it. You just need a stronger addiction. Jesus Christ is what crack promises. Jesus Christ is what Jack Daniels promised. Jesus Christ is what Budweiser told you it was going to give you. Jesus Christ is the intimate point of perfection that you thought you could get with that woman that wasn't your wife Jesus Christ is pure ecstasy and so with Jesus the N.A. guys and the A.A. guys get it wrong because when the sun sets you free you're free indeed and the reason that you're free indeed is is that that thing that was causing you to go from addiction addiction to addiction to addiction to addiction to addiction Jesus is actually what those things were pretending to be. And so when you get the real thing, you never go back to the other thing because there's no more room in the eternal place. You're filled up. You know why? Because there ain't no high like the most high God. Amen? How did we get on this from where we were? True repentance true repentance when you truly repent you never turn back now the last oh man i've got four minutes that was pretty that was pretty quick i'm surprised all right now let me show you the false repentance and this is pretty funny too this is a good one okay acts chapter nine um yeah acts chapter 19 so yeah that worked out pretty good so you see david he didn't mind how painful that was why all that, I, did y'all follow that, or was that just like, well, that was kind of cool, but I don't know what it was for. That was not connected in any way, shape, form, or fashion. No, it, it was, because see, how was David able to worship? I mean, come on. I mean, come on. We we Most of you have children, or you have people in your life that you love. When you lose somebody you love because of a sin that you've committed, how, how do you worship? You don't worship. You're depressed, right? Not if... You have turned from that thing that was a false idol, and you've taken into your grasp the Lord Jesus Christ, or he's taking you into his grasp, right? And then you fall into him as your greatest addiction, as that fulfillment that you all, you were always looking for in these other places. You see, that's the crazy thing. His desire for Bathsheba and the sexual experience led. Does this not? Paul was exactly right in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, was he not? Godly grief leads to, re- le- leads to a repentance that, that brings to salvation. Worldly grief does not. It only leads to death. David desired something that he shouldn't, and it brought death. David, after those consequences, was brought back into the presence of the Lord. He repented, and even though all of his wickedness and all of the consequences, that godly grief brought life. And he was restored, and he worshiped. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 19. Now, I don't have time to go through all of this, but this is actually, when I opened up to this, the Lord just brought this to my mind, I opened it up, and I started I was actually looking for one specific part, and it's the first part of Acts chapter 19, where some disciples were found, and Paul's talking to them, and uh, you know they had been baptized, and they had heard the message, and they had even believed. But he asked them, he says, "Into what were?" He says, "Have you received the Holy Spirit?" And these disciples said, we ain't even never heard of the Holy Spirit. And Paul's like, oh man, well then what was you baptized into? And they say, we were baptized into John's baptism. And he says, John baptized with the baptism of repentance. But you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now earlier in Acts chapter 18, we see Apollos, who was a very powerful man, and he was proclaiming, he was running along doing his thing, but he had some things out of order. So Priscilla and Aquila take Apollo to, Apollos to the side, and they show him a better way. And they say that the problem was, was that he was only preaching the baptism of repentance. And now in Acts chapter 19, Paul runs, Apollos is still over in Ephesus, Paul runs into these disciples, and he said he asked them the question, "You know, have you been baptized? Have you received the Holy Spirit?" They say, "No, we ain't even ever received the Holy Spirit. We've only been baptized in the baptism of, of John, which is the baptism of repentance." So, all signs point to that these disciples were disciples of Apollos, who they were separated from right now. And Paul is talking to them, and he says, "Well, you need to be. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ." You say, "What does this got to have? What does this have to do with anything?" You see, Paul is distinguishing here that they had all, they, the, all that they had received was a baptism uh, of, of repentance that they had received. John came what? Preaching that to make straight the path, that the Messiah was coming, that you better get your junk together, right? That's what John preached. John the Baptist came preaching, get your junk together, the Messiah's coming. Make straight the path, clean it up. They had received that message. They had heard that message. They heard the Messiah was coming, but they had not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ in this way. They had not received the Holy Spirit. Now, just in case you might think, well, they were Christians. They just hadn't received the Holy Spirit. I did mark in my Bible, Romans 8, that says, he who does not have the Spirit does not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So they could, if they did not have the Spirit, they could not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul said let me show you he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ which is really just indicative of that they had believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah we're going to read that in just a second he baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and when he laid his hands on him recognizing that these were true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and they had faith the Holy Spirit filled them up and boom they were born again now listen to it and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. So Apollos was in Corinth, Paul's in Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not ever heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Two types of belief there. Two types of belief. And let me just read this as kind of parentheses just so we clarify that, because some people believe in two baptisms. That you're baptized at one point, and you're a true believer, born in the family of God, and then you need to be baptized later for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Nope, nope, not not such a thing. No, never. Uh uh One baptism, one faith, one Lord. One. And let me tell you this. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. And let me read it for you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, you, you might say, man, we just read Hebrews chapter 6 and never even went back. <laughs> well, I hope that you're seeing how it's all tying together. Because I'm going to come back to this in just a second. I'm going to show you all of that. Now. They were baptized, they became true believers, but that's not even the point here. Watch this. This is an indication of true repentance. They were baptized in John's baptism. It was was only a baptism of outward repentance, stopping their actions, but they had not turned to the Lord Jesus and been born again and been brought in and indwelt by the power of the Holy Spirit. you see that? There is one repentance that they changed their ways, but they had turned to something else. Because he asked them, have you turned to Jesus? They said, no, we ain't even, have you had the Holy Spirit? Have you, are, are you filled with the righteousness of Christ? No, we ain't even never heard of a Holy Spirit. Well, let's get this thing done, son. Let's go ahead on and as, as Hambo says, let's double tie the knot. Let's make sure that you feel slammed up full of Jesus Christ because you don't want to stand before him one day and say, but I did all of these things that Jesus says." Yeah, but I didn't even know you. You see, I bet you money that them people standing before Jesus Christ and said but Lord did we not cast out demons did we not did we not feed them did we not did we not did we not I bet you money that those were baptized people who believed in him with a head knowledge but they did not have true repentance because Jesus never said to them no you didn't they did change their ways they did have works. they did do this they did do that but they did not do it for the Lord Jesus Christ they didn't know Jesus Christ they were doing it for some other reason they had traded one addiction for another addiction and it was all for them and not for him and Jesus looks at them and he never said you never did any of that no he just says well maybe but you never knew me I was never your primary addiction you were so high on everything else you never came up here to hang out with me well that's not even the place we just got hung up again look at verse 11 now watch this here's the false repentance and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched, this, uh, touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their, dis, uh, and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the in, uh, itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, Now, I will say this and I'll admit, this, this portion of the text does not talk about the itinerant Jews repenting. But the itinerant Jewish exorcists were not casting out demons or even attempting to in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were doing this in a completely different way. Obviously, they would have been. So, if I'm defining repentance as changing from doing one thing To doing it another way then they this is repentance that they had stopped casting out demons the way that they were doing it now they're turning to do it another way because I'm going to suggest and I think you're going to see for ulterior motives it wasn't because they loved Jesus Christ and knew how powerful he was it was because they wanted fame and glory like all these other guys that were casting out demons do you see it so far in the text well let's just keep reading then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you. Now, watch. They are speaking the name of Jesus. They have seen blessing. They have been a part of of, uh, release and freedom. They have seen demons cast out. They have seen all of this stuff. They have witnessed it. They have been enlightened to it, even to the degree that they believed it so much that they were willing to cast out a demon in the name that that guy over there is using, which is causing all of this amazing stuff to happen. You see what I'm saying? The blessings are very evident. They're getting to see it. They're getting to witness it. They're getting to be a part of it. But they don't know Jesus. Watch what he says. He says, they say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Let me tell you something right now. If you are trying to ride the coattails of your parents into heaven... You need to go read this text about 15,000 times. Because I promise you, I know you're laughing, but it's really not funny. Listen, when you stand before God and you're about to be cast, you will not be able to say, but but my mom, she proclaimed you. No, you'll be handed over. Listen to what it says. I adjure you. By the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But who are you? (laughs) And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them. Mastered them all and overpowered them. So that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. That's what I was thinking. You see, they had changed what they had done. They had taken up the mantle of Christ. They had started to operate in a manner of speaking like Christians, calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was recognized as being foolish and a fake. And they jumped on them, whipped them, and for some reason, took all their clothes off. <laughs> I would imagine shame, especially in that culture. Whipped them, brought shame. Well, let's finish up. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 6. Tie a big bow on it. We'll be ready. It says, and this we will do if God permits, as we read in Second Timothy, true repentance comes only By the permissive, active work of God. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Why is it impossible? Well, remember back. This is why I said it was going to relate. Remember back to Romans chapter 8 where it says, It is impossible for those who are in the flesh to please God. You remember that? That's why. This is not saying that, you know, somebody that... You know, they've been close before. Now, I'm not going to, let, let me back up for a second. I do believe that there is a place that you can get to where you have so spurned and turned your nose up at the Lord Jesus Christ and at God that he does remove himself from your presence. And I believe that because Hebrews actually later on in the book tells us that. And He said that you better, you better hope that you never get to the place where Elijah did for though he sought repentance with tears, he never found it. Though he sought repentance with tears, he never found it. And we know that repentance comes by the permission of the Lord of God. There comes a point in time. It seems very clear to me that you turn your back on the Lord so so many times. Finally, He just says, "Okay, fine. You have it your way." Yes, it's the sin and the death. A lot of people want to want to ask. You know, what's the unforgivable sin? What's that sin and the death? What's that place? And that place is, is that you become so hardened that you have no desire whatsoever to even look in the Lord's way again. And that comes in two ways. One, you have hardened yourself. God didn't do that to you. Everybody's like, God would never do that. God doesn't have to do that. All God has to do is say, fine, you have it your way. That's all you. That's all us. That's the sin and the death is that. You have zero desire anymore for the Lord. And the Lord says, you go ahead and have your way. But here we see this is that it's impossible because they have no no plan B. You see, it's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. I looked this up, and right there at the end where it says, the reason that it is impossible to restore them is because, uh, it's because they have fallen away and since, that's the word, since, let me get this, to restore them again, to since, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. Now, we already touched on this, and we could go example after example after example after example. I would simply say that this is a boosted up common grace. I mean, how many of you know? Some, I mean, some of y'all might be them, right? How many of you know people who they've spent 20 years in the church? And they have witnessed miracles of God. They have have been fed by the church. They have been loved by the church. They have been visited by the minister. They have been helped financially. They have been helped when there were times of crisis and and they were prayed for. They got to witness the word of God and the gospel going forth. They got to be a part of people being pulled and and drawn out of the pit of darkness and into the the kingdom of light. They got to be so, so much glory. They got to see it and they got to touch it all the time. And not to mention, all the time in the scripture, there are wicked people who God brings about. You remember, we were talking about this other night. Abraham, when the king thought Sarah was smoking hot, Sarai, and he's like, yo, man. And Abraham is an idiot. And he's like, that's my sister. And, he, and so the king's like, well, send on one over here. You know what's up? And so he does. And so she's in there and about to do their thing. And God shows up to keep him from sinning. This is an unbeliever. This is not an unregenerate man. He shows up and says, boy, you better not do that. Because I will have to kill you. Again, God doing what Abraham, the husband, should have done. That's what Jesus is. That's why he's the better husband, Right. God shows up and enlightens this man. He keeps him from being put to death. And he's like, don't do that. And the king goes back to Abraham and like, why did you do that to me? Isn't that crazy? Like, we haven't ever thought about that because Abraham was the man of God. And it was the man of God who didn't speak up for his own wife. That failed, and it was the wicked man who was who took that woman to go sleep with, even though he wasn't married to her. That got the revelation from God. That then he rebuked the man of God because he didn't do what he was supposed to do. He's like, "Why did you let? Why were you going to let me step into sin, man of God?" Wait, what? You see how backwards it can get? That's how backwards it can get. But what I'm saying is, is that unbelievers have have certain amounts of light all the time who have tasted i would point to this i wouldn't draw too much from it but i would say that the bible speaks all the time if you remember ezekiel how many times the word of god cannot touch the lips not just touch the lips or not just be tasted but ezekiel swallows it down This seems to indicate to me that they just touch it. They just want to taste it. They don't want to consume. Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want to be my disciples. You can't just give it a little licky lick. (laughs) This ain't no blow pop. You got to drink it down, right? Who have tasted the heavenly gift. It's just a little taste, you know. And have shared in the Holy Spirit. You see how the wording is? I don't know why people have such a hard time with this. Because it just says shared. No, 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 no. We don't want to share. I want it all. I want the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? I don't want a piece of it. I want the whole thing. We're not sharing. I want it all, right? And we can all have it all because he's eternal and we're temporal. So we can all have as much as we can all possibly handle and still have it all. In the Holy Spirit and have tasted, there's that word again, the goodness of the word of God, right? But the, the word of God must abide. You can't taste. you got to drink. you got to take. you got to abide. It's got to be planted. The powers of the age to come. We talked about that earlier. Oh, and have fallen away. Now, I said I was done a second ago, but this is really it. Now, then have fallen away. Now, what does it mean to fall away? What they fall away from? I think we've pointed out here. I think that they have fallen away from a place where they were kind of toying with the idea, experiencing some of the goodness. But that which was offered. Here it is. Here it is. Everybody paying attention. If you didn't listen to anything else, to me right now, please. Here it is. Oh. they're sin. Right? This is precious. This, this, this is my precious, right? Remember, remember what this is. What? Sin's precious. Keith, can you come help me? I won't embarrass you too much. Yeah, I don't believe that. So, no, no. Keith is, he is a teacher. Evangelist. Loves the Lord. When I grow up, I want to be just like him. I promise. No, it's the truth. Loves the Lord. He's faithful. Man, he's a good man. All right. He's got the gospel. And I got. And Keith's like, hey, man, look, that water ain't got no caffeine in it. (laughs) Ain't got no power in it. I got the good stuff, baby. And I'm like, all right, okay, okay, all right. Let me see. Mm, that's pretty good. Mm, that's pretty good. Just to keep you up. Keep you up. Good stuff. You want the rest of it? Nah. Do this. See, you can taste. Man, look. You know, the reason, thank you, brother. The reason I was so heartbroken like three weeks ago is because, and, and you know, there's there's probably a better way I could have handled that. I kind of got chastised this morning out of that doggone 2 Timothy verse. <laughs> It's like, you know, always in gentleness. I was like, I wish I'd read that three weeks ago. <laughs> oh, Smashing with the hammer, you know. But it just—it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart for me, because I can't tell you how many times I trade Jesus for just junk. Right? You've done that. I'm just thankful right now. I can see it, and I'm like, Lord, please please don't ever take your hand off of me. Look, some people like, they're like hard up on freedom of the will. I am not a slave. And I'm like, man, please, God, tie your gospel chains around this man. Because I promise you, I will let out like the worst dog you've ever tried to keep chained up. Boom! Because I know me and you know my heart breaks for me when i take my eyes off of christ and for you and there's so many of us myself included we get so distracted and there's so much work to be done but not just work joy and blessing and satisfaction and peace and mercy and wonder and awe and jesus is everything and here he is and and we we taste and, and we, mm, that's, that smells, but no, nah. Thank you, but no thank you. And if you want to know why it's impossible, because the only one that can glorify God, check this. Is everybody listening? Raise your hands way up high if you're listening. Everybody that's listening, please raise your hands way up high. The only way to glory, no, no, raise them way up high. <laughs> Keep them up high. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. As you've got your hands raised, listen to me. The only one that glorifies God is God. And the only person that glorifies God is the one that has God glorifying, God living in them. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. And and I'm not so foolish to know that the only way that you're more in love with your sin than you are with Jesus, you just have not experienced Jesus in the fullest sense of the word. And you know what? That doesn't come by my yelling and whatever. It comes by the power of God to draw you in and to open your eyes and to open your ears. And so my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would do a work in here that we've never seen done before and those who have been living in the darkness would step into the light and the angels would go <laughs> Yeah, I like that. I love you guys. I really do and I can't wait to see what God Hey, pray for me. I'm praying for you. And the prayer should go like this, Lord, please help my preacher just to be more in love with Jesus Christ than anything or anyone. And my prayer will be like this, God, please help all the people, all of those out there every to be so in love with you that it makes everything look like trash. Because when you're so in love with Jesus that everything just looks like nothing in comparison to him, that's when you can actually appreciate the good things that God has given you. Come to Him and do work with God. Come to Him today if you've never known Him. If you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're sucked into that addiction, no matter how silly, no matter how big, no matter how nasty, no matter how supposedly glorious it is, I promise you it doesn't hold a candlestick to the one who is the light of the world. Come and do business with God, people. Love you. I just realized I forgot a point two seconds. Well, don't don't let me lie. It's impossible since they are crucifying since they are holding. These are both present active participles. They would actually be written just like this literally. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are, since they are the ones who are crucifying him again, the Son of God, and holding him up to their own harm. And holding and the ones who are holding him up currently to public shame, to contempt. See, the reason it's impossible is that they have looked upon Christ and the gift that he's made and the sin that he's bore and they have said no thank you stay up there I don't want it if today the Lord is calling you unto himself run with complete abandon fall on your face and call on his name you will be forgiven you will be spared for all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, thank you so much for the time that we've had together. I pray that your word would go forth and would not return void. We trust that that's true. And we pray, God, that you'd be with us as we scatter, that we would do warfare in this world, and that we would draw people in to the kingdom of light. We love you. We thank you. You're worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Have a great week.